Welcome to the Stonebridge Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor David Eldridge. Galatians 1 through 4, Paul has really one message, and that's that we're justified or declared righteous by God through faith in Jesus alone. And then in chapter 5, he works out a a primary implication of that message, of that truth, and that's that we're to live freely as God's adopted sons and daughters. And so we don't want to fall into slavery to the law. That's legalism being overly focused on external behavior. We also don't want to become uh, slaves to sin. That's antinomianism or lawlessness, the idea that because we're saved by grace, we can basically do whatever we want. There's no limits, no boundaries, or no, um, no restraints. Last week, we saw that this life of freedom is enabled by the Holy Spirit. It's actually described in terms of relationship with the Holy Spirit. Where the Holy Spirit is, there's freedom. That's the Second Corinthians bit. In Galatians, we see what we, we're, we're told to walk in the Spirit, be led by the Spirit, keep in step with the Spirit. And then the Holy Spirit produces fruit in us. This life of freedom produces certain characteristics. It's actually the character of Jesus Love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. Those are called the fruit of the Spirit. Again, that's the character of Jesus and the Holy Spirit is producing those things in us. So today we're going to look at the first 10 verses of chapter 6. These are the last commands that Paul gives to the Galatian church. We're about to wrap this uh, book up. We'll finish next week. These are the last instructions that he gives um, and it's, pract- it's even a-, a bit more practical than this idea of walking in freedom. He gets into the nitty-gritty with some, s- some situations that it seems like the church uh, is confronting. So we're going to start in chapter 6, verse 1. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks there's something when they're not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else, for each one should carry their own load. Nevertheless, the one who receives instructions in the word should share all good things with their instructor. Don't be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. Let's not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we don't give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. So uh, we've mentioned this uh, assumedly small group of Jewish Christian teachers who are trying to lead the Galatian church astray. Remember, this is a, these are, it's a baby congregation, and they're trying to teach, hey, it's not enough to trust in Jesus, you've got to trust in Jesus and follow the law. So there's some issues between some false teachers in the congregation, but there are also apparently some intra-congregational issues as well. In chapter 5, verse 15, Paul says, if you bite and devour each other, you're going to destroy each other. And bite and devour are words that are used to describe animals fighting. So you've got, there's some intensity to the relationships. And then verse 26 of chapter 5, which is, I think, really important for us today, he says, don't become conceited Envy, provoking and envying one another. To become conceited is to, is to have a higher opinion of yourself than you should, and that opinion is based on things that aren't true. So it's a high opinion of yourself based on unreality, and that leads to provoking, which is 
to challenge somebody else. I feel really good about myself. I wanna demonstrate my superiority to you or envying. I know that my opinion of myself is built on something that's not true. And so I'm jealous of who you are and what you have, what you've attained or your possessions, that, that I'm insecure about that. So I'm, I'm envious towards you. But that idea of conceit runs through the first half of chapter six. What I think Paul is trying to do is, here's, here's two situations, someone who's caught in sin and someone who's weighed down. And in both of those situations, he's saying help, but helping can actually lead to conceit. So he's saying, I want you to help, and I want you to help in a particular way. And as you're helping, I want you to mind your own heart. That in helping someone who's struggling, you don't wind up getting conceited yourself. So again, two very specific situations. If you, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in sin, so that is, if, you're, if someone is overtaken, or, or this is a weird word, is surprised by sin. In Genesis 4, God says to Cain, sin is crouching at your door. So that's the picture of what Paul is talking about. This is not someone who's willful and deliberate and intentional in their sin. Again, it's sin has overtaken them. It's, it's pounced on them. They're caught by sin. So picture somebody thrown in a pit. And Paul says if, if, when you, if someone in your congregation, they're in that pit, they didn't set out to sin willfully and deliberately, but sin has overtaken them. You who are spiritual, so we would say the spiritually mature, those who are led by the Spirit, walk in the Spirit, keep in step with the Spirit, restore that person gently, lift them up out of the pit and put them back on the road. To restore is to return someone to a previous condition. Medically, it's to set a broken bone. Commercially, it's to mend a net that's been ripped. So that's what he's saying, restore them, get them back to where they were and do so gently. Gentleness is one of the fruits of the Spirit. We saw that last week. It's not weakness, but meekness, power under control. Jesus is described as gentle. A bruised reed he doesn't break and a smoldering wick he does not snuff out. So uh, someone who's spiritually mature has power. You have spiritual power. The Holy Spirit's working through you. To, to restore someone gently is to use that power in service of, of compassion and love towards this person who's struggling. So someone who's caught in sin, restore them. Someone who's burdened, a burden is a heavy weight. Someone who's weighed down, we wanna carry those burdens with them. And in so doing, we fulfill the law of Christ, the law of Jesus, John 13, 34, love one another as I've loved you. That's his new command. I want you to love one another, not just as you love yourself. I want you to love one another the ways that, in the ways that I've loved you. It's a higher bar. That's the law of Jesus. And when we share these, these burdens, when we carry these heavy weights that our brothers and sisters are bearing, then we uh, are fulfilling that law. So that's, those, those circles may overlap. It could very well be that the person who's caught in sin, uh, they are someone who's burdened as well. We all have weaknesses and vulnerabilities that make us more prone to certain temptations and sins, but it doesn't necessarily, it's not necessarily restricted just to sin. We'll talk about that more in a minute. But in your mind to be burdened, that's anything that is weighing you down. It's a weight that's too heavy to, to carry. So those two situations, restore, share the load. Now, what Paul is saying also is, but you gotta be careful. When you're standing on the edge of the pit and somebody's in it, you're looking down on them literally, aren't you? And it's easy for that to then become the condition of your heart. When you're looking down on somebody, it's easy to look down on somebody. He says, you need to watch yourself. 
so that you're not tempted. He could mean the same temptation that threw them in the pit. You don't want to fall victim to that 100%. I think at least as likely, if not more so, again, is when you're helping someone who's struggling, it can be really easy to do the tisk tisk thing and you know, be, become judgmental and critical and smug in your restoration of somebody else. Well, you know so-and-so. I tried to, whatever that is that we can kind of get in our minds. Be careful. You don't want to become conceited. We also, when we're sharing a burden with someone else, we're helping them carry a, a heavy load, that same type of thinking can kick in. He says, if you think you're something and you're not, you're deceiving yourself. To think you're something when you're not, that's the definition of conceit. To think you're something that you're not, that's what it means to be conceited. And what Paul says is, so we all need to test our own actions. We need to determine the quality of our work. That's what that actions literally is work. Our conduct, our behavior. We need to see the quality of that. And then if we're gonna boast, that's what he means by take pride in. If we're gonna boast, we need to boast in what God's actually done in us and through us, not boast in our perception of our standing relative to someone else. Paul says in Philippians 2, if I'm gonna boast, I wanna boast in running my race well and not running in vain. Humility, we've said this before, it's not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. It's also having an appropriate um, understanding of yourself. It's it's appropriate self-knowledge. If you're smart and you say you're dumb, that's not humility, that's a lie. Like that doesn't help anybody, including you, to pretend that you're something that you're worse than you are. That's called false humility. That's not the real thing. God is working in you. He is. And it's okay to be happy about that and to take pride in the best sense of the word in what God is doing in you and through you. You're becoming more patient. Celebrate that. Don't pretend that's not happening. What Paul is saying is we want to make sure we're testing our own actions. And so whatever picture we have of ourselves, it's actually based in the reality of what God is doing in us and through us, not in the unreality of ourselves compared to somebody else. Why? Because each one has to carry their own load. You may be saying, you just said share each other's burdens and now you're saying carry your own load. Did he forget senior moment? No, what he, two different words. Burden and load, they're not the same. A a burden is a heavy weight. A load is a backpack or a book bag. That's how that word was used. It's something that you or I would be expected to carry. We're not expected to carry a heavy weight. By definition, it's too much for us. We are expected to carry the load. You're expected to carry your own books to class or whatever. It's a book bag or or a backpack is what we would say. And what Paul has in mind there is final judgment standing before Jesus where we're standing on our own and we have to give an account for our own lives and we can't start looking around and saying, well, I did better than so There's no so-and-so at that point. It's just you and me. It's just you and him or it's just me and him. We're not, we're not comparing at that point. And so Paul's saying, don't, don't do that now. We're all responsible for our own lives, our own hearts before the Lord. So don't, don't, don't do the comparison deal. That leads to conceit, thinking, of your, thinking more of yourself than you should, thinking that you're something when you're not. And then this verse that seems out of place, he says, those of you who are receiving instruction, that's a technical word for people who are being 
taught uh, spiritual things or religious things, share with your instructor your good things. So basically, this is first New Testament verse that talks about paying your pastors, for lack of a better word. So hard for me to talk about in a way that's not self-interested. So we're just gonna, we'll move on pretty quickly from this. And I'll just say that it's a, it's a picture or it's a, it's a specific example of bearing burdens. If you're preparing and studying and delivering this religious instruction, then you're not working in the field or whatever your job is. And that can create a financial burden on your family. So Paul's saying, hey, y'all should be sharing this burden. These guys that are giving themselves to teaching you, you should share uh, your financial resources with them. If you're giving to your home church, you're obeying this. If you're not giving to your home church, then you probably should. So that's, that's that. Next, big picture. You reap what you sow. So Paul gives some really specific things about uh, all around this idea of the danger of becoming conceited. That apparently is something that has taken root in the church and he's trying to root it out. And here are two places where that can happen. When we're helping someone who's caught in sin and when we're sharing a burden, a heavy load with somebody else. Uh, excuse me, a heavy weight. It's probably better to say a heavy weight with somebody else. We don't wanna become conceited in those circumstances. We want to engage, we want to help, but we want to mind our own hearts. Now he's stepping back. Remember, these are baby Christians. This, we're not sure exactly how long this is from when Paul started the church to when he wrote Galatians, but less than two years, almost certainly. So these guys are really new in their faith. They're the first church in their areas. There's no, there's nobody else for them to look at. And I think what Paul's trying to say is what, what you're doing matters. Your actions actually matter. And sometimes we don't see that all the time. And Paul's closing by reminding them of that. Like this, this isn't just theory. This isn't just abstract. This isn't, uh, this is really, this is practical. The things that you're doing matter. God, don't be deceived. When Paul says that, like he's using his grown-up voice. He only does it a few times and it's the listen to me. This is serious. God can't be mocked. You can't thumb your nose or your finger at him, like neither one of those things. This, that's what he's saying. You reap what you sow. And there's a sense in which nothing can be more obvious. If you sow wheat seeds, you don't expect bananas. Of course, you're gonna get out what you put in. And he's taking that agricultural maxim and truth and applying it to our spiritual lives. And at times, it can be a bit tricky to see this. If you think about, again, in an agricultural setting, you, if you sow in the spring, maybe you reap in the summer or the fall, there is a time gap, but it's compressed. We don't necessarily see that in our spiritual lives. Paul says if you sow to please your flesh, you're gonna reap destruction. If you sow to please the spirit, you're gonna reap eternal life. Your flesh, remember we've said this past two weeks, is that part of us that wants to move independently of God. I wanna do my own thing in my own way. And if I sow to please that part of me, then I'm going to reap destruction, which is, that's just another way of saying hell, life apart from God forever. If I sow to please the Holy Spirit, I'm going to reap eternal life. So on the eternal horizon, in the, in the, in the eternal time frame, you reap what you sow, it's rock solid 100% of the time. You're gonna reap what you sow. If you sow to please your flesh, then you're going to reap forever apart from God. If you sow to please the Holy Spirit, you're going to reap forever with God. You've heard that old adage, sow a 
thought, reap an action, sow an action, reap a habit, sow a habit, reap a character, sow a character, reap a destiny. And you can see how this would play out. The sowing to the flesh, we'll just use that as, as an example. If I sow thoughts that are independent of God, I'm gonna reap actions that are independent of God. If I sow actions that are independent of God, I'm gonna reap a habit or habits that are independent of God. If I sow habits that are independent of God, I'm gonna reap a character that's independent of God. And if I sow a character independent of God, then yes, I'm gonna reap a destiny independent of him. That's been the whole trajectory of my life. So of course, and the same thing is true of sowing to please the spirit. So again, on this, we'll just use, say the eternal horizon, we can see yes, 100%. Where this starts causing heartburn is when we try to look at sowing and reaping in our earthly life. When we start thinking through the time horizons of here and now, or even a few weeks or a few months or a few years, we can get frustrated. Again, in general, a farmer knows I plant in the spring, I'm gonna reap in the summer, I'm gonna reap in the fall. That's not necessarily the case spiritually. One of the themes in the Old Testament is actually how come the righteous suffer and how come the wicked prosper? You can read Psalm, I think it's 73. It's a Psalm of a guy named Asaph who is one of David's worship leaders. And he says something along the lines of this, you know, I almost stumbled, I almost, my foot almost slipped, I almost sinned because I was looking at how good the lives of the wicked are. And you can read that psalm and about halfway through he says, and then I went into the sanctuary and my perspective shifted. Once I got into your presence, then it all made sense to me. But outside of that, what I saw was wicked people prospering and righteous people suffering. And that doesn't make a whole lot of sense is what the Asaph is saying. And if we're honest, we live there at times too. We say, well, I'm, I'm sowing to please the Holy Spirit and my life is not getting better. And maybe in some ways it's becoming more difficult. And I look around at people who are doing whatever they want, whenever they want, with whoever they want, and they certainly seem rich, fat, and happy to me. And that creates a disconnect in our hearts. And we start thinking, well, does it even matter? Does it even matter? And Paul is saying it absolutely matters. It matters in this eternal perspective, but he's also trying to say it matters now. Don't grow weary. Don't quit. Don't lose heart. Don't lose the motivation to continue this good work of sowing Good things of sowing to please the Holy Spirit. At the right time, that's that kairos word that we talk about. Two different versions of time in the New Testament. Chronos time, which is what we do. Watches and calendars. Kairos time, which is what God does when circumstances are right and ripe. The frustration for us is we live our lives in chronos time and God cover, governs the world in kairos time. And they're not even close to the same. They're not even close to the same. We can't see when the circumstances are perfectly aligned. We think we can, but our knowledge is so limited. Our perspective is so small. It's where trust and faith come into play. Don't grow weary in sowing to please the Spirit. Don't grow weary in doing good. At just the right time, when the moment is right, you'll reap a harvest if you don't quit. Take advantage of every opportunity. That's the kairos word again. Take advantage of the circumstances, meaning this life. Take advantage of the opportunities that we have, which is really this life, to do good to everybody and particularly to 
your brothers and sisters. We have a higher, or a higher level of responsibility to the family of faith than we, do, than we do to those outside. So again, Paul, I think, is trying to encourage this baby group of believers who maybe some of them are like, I've been kind of working this for six months or 12 months or 18 months and I'm not seeing a whole lot. And he's saying, don't, don't give up. Don't grow weary. At the right time, you're gonna receive a harvest. So I got two things for you to think about as um, we start to wrap up. One, ask yourself this question. Is there a burden that I should be sharing that I'm trying to carry on my own? And I bet for many of you, the answer is yes. So we want to do that, maybe because we're ashamed for whatever reason, we think it's what it means to be strong. We want to carry these heavy weights on our own and we're not intended to. So a distinction, again, between a load and a burden. When I hear load, what I think is responsibility. Parable of the talents from Matthew 25. You get one, you get two, you get five. God, God has given you gifts, strengths, talents, opportunities, and he's saying, steward them. That's the point of that parable. Your Bible may say the bags of gold. I don't know that you use the word talents anymore. The idea is God has given us something and he wants us to use it to his glory and the good of others. That's what it means to steward. I'm gonna, I'm gonna use these things like you would because ultimately they're yours. I'm not gonna do what I want with them. I'm gonna do what you want me to do with them. That's what it means to be a steward. When I think about our, the load, the backpack that I'm carrying and that you're carrying, that we're expected to carry, it's that responsibility to be a good steward with what God has given to us. And that's not just material things he's given to us, although that's a portion of it. It's also, our, our, again, our, our spiritual gifts, our talents, our strengths, those kinds of things. That's the load that we're all gonna stand before Jesus one day and say, here's what I did with what you gave me. The burden, a burden is different. It's a heavy weight. So think literally about walking after Jesus a thousand miles in three years. What's making it difficult for you or for me to keep up with him? What's weighing me down? If you like the Hebrews 12 picture, better than a heavy weight, what is entangling you? What's slowing you down? It could be sin, those weaknesses and vulnerabilities that we all have that cause us to maybe be, uh, have a greater propensity towards certain sins. Certain temptations are more difficult for me to resist than maybe they are for you. It could be a sin thing that's weighing me down, but it could also be something else. It could be pain. Some of you are in chronic physical pain and that's not nothing. And it makes it difficult for you on a daily basis to follow Jesus because you're, you're always hurting. Some of it's a, it could be emotional pain, including grief. Those things are not sin, but they're heavy weights. Confusion, disappointment, doubt, frustration, all of those things can become heavy weights. And what Paul would say is share. For those of you who are married, I would encourage you to share with, don't just share with your spouse. I would say that, that's a, somebody else. Share with them plus one or two others. We all need a couple of people that we're, that we're sharing these heavy weights with. It's what it means to carry one another's burdens, to be brothers and sisters. So how do we do that? If somebody comes, if, if Courtney comes and he shares with me, what's my responsibility back? Mostly, it's to pray. Think about the paralytic, his four friends, put him on a mat and take him to Jesus. That's what we're doing when we're praying. I'm taking Courtney to 
Jesus. What do we call that? We're lifting him up. That's what we're doing, lifting them up to the Lord. He's the only one who can ultimately make anything better. So we pray, we listen. One of the reasons people shy away from these kinds of relationships is they say, well, I just don't know what to say. That actually makes you perfect. The person you run away from is the one who's like, oh, I got something to say. That's not the guy you wanna share your burdens with. I don't know what to say. Good, then just listen. Encourage. New Testament prophecy, 1 Corinthians 14, 3. Strengthening, encouraging, and comforting. That's what prophecy looks like in the day and age in which we live. And all of us, Acts 2, can prophesy. It doesn't sound like James Earl Jones. It's not King James English. It's just strengthening and encouraging and comforting a brother or sister. The Holy Spirit will give you the words that build other people up, that console, that call out. Pats on the back, hands lifting up, that kind of thing. Give advice sparingly. Paul says, carry each other's burdens, not solve each other's problems. When you're invited in, then it's okay to share. I would say until you're invited in, it's not gonna, it's, you're banging your head against a wall anyway. It's not gonna be well received. Just show up, listen, pray, encourage, and maybe at some point, there will be an opportunity to give wisdom if that's something that's appropriate. Are you carrying a heavy weight that you should be sharing with someone else? Second question, or second thought, let's be really honest about what we're sowing. If we reap what we sow, then we need to know what we're sowing and we need to be honest about that. And I would say start with your habits. That's the easiest thing to pinpoint. What are the rhythms and the routines of your life? And you can think of that in terms of your physical health. You can think about it in terms of your money. You can think about it in terms of your relationships and your spiritual health. What are your habits? Your habits are forming and shaping you. If you run 15 miles a week, we talked about this at the men's dinner, in 10 years, you're going to be a runner. That habit of running three, four, five times a week, it's forming you into a certain type of person. If you have a couple of drinks a night in five or seven or eight or 10 years, at a minimum, you're gonna be a drinker and you may be an alcoholic. That habit is forming you into a certain type of person. So what are the habits? You have them and I have them. We all have routines. The most spontaneous person in the room has routines. The most disorganized person in the room has, we all have them. We all have those habits. What are they? If you're unsure and you live with somebody, ask them. They know. And they'll, they'll help you see what those things are. What are your habits? Now listen, the idea of sowing and reaping can feel heavy. It can feel fatalistic. Well, I've sowed this to my flesh, so I guess I'm sunk. Repentance can break that cycle. 100%. We can start fresh today. Thief on the cross, great picture. Someone who sowed to his flesh, as far as we know, his whole life, and then at the very end, he repents. So that don't, don't get discouraged by the idea of sowing and reaping. God does not always um, 
shield us or remove the consequences of our choices, but his grace and mercy are real. And so that sowing and reaping can be broken. So don't get, don't, uh, get discouraged if you're thinking of your habits and you don't really like them. That's okay. We can you repent, and repent means to change your mind or to walk in a new direction, and that's what we're gonna do. We're gonna start walking in a new direction. And that's part of it is let's, what's the destination? What, what's, the, what's the goal? Let's begin with the end in mind. You've heard that before. And that's, it's, it's Christ-likeness. That's Romans eight twenty nine. The Father's conforming us into the image of Jesus. What does that mean? It's the fruit of the Spirit that we talked about last week. That is the character of Jesus. Love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. That's, that describes the attributes, the qualities of Jesus that the Holy Spirit's trying to produce in us. So that's the goal for us. We said this on Thursday. I think it's true. We're all either becoming more like Jesus or more like the devil. Let's say it that starkly so that we know. Those are the only two choices on the table ultimately. And none of us wanna be like that guy. So what are the habits that I'm practicing and are those moving me more and more into the direction of Jesus? So what's an action that you could start? If actions lead to habits, what's an action? The Holy Spirit is not going to rewire you with new habits. He doesn't do that. We cooperate with him. He's not gonna zap you He'll lead you 100%. He'll empower you 100%. But we cooperate with him. So are there, what, what's a behavior? You can click on that QR code or you can tap on that circle in front of you and it's gonna take you to a website, Renovare, R-E-N-O-V-A-R-E.org. And on that website, they all, most of what they do is about, spirit, they call them spiritual practices or spiritual disciplines. You can the search bar, you can type spiritual disciplines. The first article that comes up is a great one. That's what you'll get if you click on that QR code or tap on that circle disc in front of you. A spiritual practice or a spiritual discipline is an activity that we engage in that opens us up to the grace of God. That's all it is. We're not gonna become more joyful by trying to laugh more. It doesn't work that way. I don't know if any of you have ever done the pop the wrist with the rubber band thing. Usually all that does is mean you have a red wrist. It doesn't actually do anything. It doesn't make us more patient or more self-controlled. That's behavior modification. The Holy Spirit wants, we said last week, he's less concerned about leading us to do certain things and more concerned about making us a certain kind of person. When someone who's unkind does something kind, what do we say about them? Well, that was out of character. That's not who we wanna be. We can act out of character, but ultimately, Proverbs 4, we live out of our hearts. And the way our hearts are formed and shaped by the Holy Spirit, it's through these practices, and it's not a direct line. It's weird how it kind of works. How does fasting lead to joy? I don't know. We practice these disciplines. You don't have to do them all. There's a lot of them. You don't have to do them all. That website gives you an overview and they're the things you're thinking about. It's reading the Bible and journaling and prayer and worship and silence and solitude and fasting and giving and simplicity. There's lots of them. It's any practice that really, again, opens us up to the grace of God. And I want to encourage you to prayerfully just say, God, is there one of these 
activities that you would like me to begin to practice. So if it's prayer, don't say this, I'm gonna pray an hour tomorrow because you're not. You're not. Just like you're not gonna run a marathon tomorrow if, you've, if the farthest you've ever run is the mailbox. It's not gonna happen. <laughs> you need the couch to marathon plan, which is what we all need. And these spiritual practices is baby steps. God is not in a hurry and you don't have to be either. I'm gonna just start working this into my life. I'm gonna try to be silent for one minute. That's what I'm gonna try. And then I'm gonna try to be silent for three. And then maybe at some point I try to be silent for a half a day or a day. That's not where I'm gonna start. What are the... What's the one thing, Holy Spirit, you would want me to do? I said I want us to begin with the end in mind because it's important for us to have a destination, but recognize, don't, don't try to connect a practice to an attribute. It doesn't necessarily work that way. So ultimately, we wanna keep Jesus as our, he's, he's, he's the one we're, we're, we're moving towards, and it's these attributes of his, but I almost wanna say, all right, Semicolon, Holy Spirit, what's, the, what's a practice that you would want me to begin to incorporate into my life? And he'll use that in whatever ways that he wants as he forms us and shapes us. And we can't always see how that's gonna play out. So again, these, these things are not magic. They don't earn any favor with God. They're just tried and true ways of opening ourselves to his grace because ultimately that's what we need. We need the Holy Spirit to transform us. And so th- these practices are ways that we put ourselves before him to say, okay, go to work on my heart. Because again, we're not gonna become more of these things through our own willpower or tips and techniques. All right, this is what I wanna do uh, or want us to do. If you'll close your eyes, Bo, you and Lauren can come back up. They're gonna lead us in a little bit of ministry. Ministry teams, you guys can come up. So there's a couple of things. One, some of you came in with a need and we want to pray for you. So please allow these teams to pray for you, whatever your need is. Physical, relational, spiritual, financial, emotional, whatever. Those things are real. But here's two questions I want you thinking about just in light of what we shared. One, and if you're willing, ask the Lord this. Father, is there a burden that I'm carrying on my own that you would like me to share with others? Just ask that question and see if something comes to your mind. If something comes to your mind, there's, there's two steps, two potentials. I'm not gonna tell you what to do. One, and I would encourage you to do this, would be to come and let one of these teams pray for you. And you can be as general as you want in sharing. You don't have to, you don't have to be more vulnerable or transparent than you're comfortable with right now. And what they're gonna do is they're, they're gonna pray for you. Again, that picture of taking the paralytic to Jesus. And that may be it. You may not know the person who's praying for you. They may not know you. And most likely, there, there's not gonna be any follow-up. Your next step would be, who, am I, who do I need to share this with who I'm already living life with? Who's one or two brothers or sisters that I need to, I need to let them know? so that they can walk with me. They can, they can carry this burden with me. That's not gonna be these prayer teams, 
but the act of letting them pray for you, that's a way of obeying quickly. And sometimes if we don't obey quickly, we don't obey at all. Second question, prayerfully before the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, would you show me what I'm sowing? What are my habits? And again, if something comes to mind and it's kind of ugly or you're ashamed of it, just you can repent. God, I confess I'm engaged in this thought pattern or behavior. It's not pleasing to you. I'm sowing to please my flesh. I repent. I want to move in a new direction. And the follow-up question, Holy Spirit, is there a practice that you would want me to begin to incorporate into my life? The best thing for some of you to do maybe during this ministry time may be to review that article, skim it, and see if something jumps out at you that you can commit to. And you may want to ask these guys, come forward and say, hey, I want to try this. And so I, I want to just say it out loud. And you guys pray that God would give me the grace. If you want to explore those disciplines more, um, you can reach out to Matt or Vanessa, Matt at stonebridgemarietta.org or Vanessa at stonebridgemarietta.org. They'd love to talk with you and help get you on the right road. Holy Spirit, I pray for all of us. I pray that no one here, I, I want to pray maybe this, I want to pray particularly for those who are heavy laden today. And I know that your compassion, Jesus, goes out to those who are burdened. And God, we pray that as a body, we would know how to carry one another's burdens. And so we pray again for those who are weighted down. We pray that they would know the relief that comes from walking with others. And God, I pray for all of us that in the weeks and months and years and decades that we have on this earth, I pray that we would be sowing to please the Spirit, that you would be conforming us more and more into the image of the Son, and then at the right time, we would reap a harvest. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Stonebridge Church Sermon of the Week. 